This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, including more female test subjects in studies on animals and even human cells. Once the doors are really open to this whole new area, really increasing the kind of science that can be learned, it's going to revolutionize, I believe, basic science. Gender equity in research when Radio Health Journal returns. Medicare open enrollment is underway and millions of older Americans are evaluating their options to ensure their health plan meets their retirement lifestyle. Silver Sneakers, the nation's leading community fitness program designed specifically for older Americans, is helping people stay active and do more of what they love by improving their physical and mental health through fitness, fun, and friends. No matter your goals, from running a marathon for the first time to keeping up with your grandchildren, Silver Sneakers can help you live your best life. In fact, 91% of members say Silver Sneakers has improved their quality of life, Offered as a free benefit through leading Medicare plans, Silver Sneakers members have free access to all the amenities of a basic membership at more than 13,000 fitness and wellness facilities nationwide, as well as specialized group exercise classes led by certified instructors. Medicare open enrollment ends December 7th. Check your Medicare plan to see if you have the Silver Sneakers benefit. Learn more and see if you're eligible at silversneakers.com. Every now and then, you hear about a drug being pulled off the market because of serious, unforeseen side effects. After millions of dollars invested in development and clinical trials, the drug's promise is dashed. And often, it's because a drug maker didn't test the drug enough on women. What they have seen over time is a profound impact on their bottom line. Eight of ten drugs in a report from the General Accounting Office that had been pulled from the after FDA approval in post-marketing surveillance was because of adverse events in women. That's Dr. Teresa Woodruff, director of the Women's Health Research Institute at Northwestern University. There was the very notable case on Ambien, which is a well-known sleep aid. It's been on the market for 20 years. And it was pulled because of adverse events affecting women. So for a man who took the drug at 11 o'clock at night, it was cleared largely by 6 o'clock the next morning. For a woman who took the drug at 11 o'clock at night, it didn't clear her system until 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock the next morning. So the adverse events were that women would still get up, but they would be sleepy and under the influence of the effects of Ambien. But if, again, we go back to that FDA filing where they showed that there was a difference in the clearance of the drugs for males and females, in that same FDA filing, they said, but we don't know the efficacy in females. And that's because they didn't test efficacy in females. Ambien is back on the market now with labeling that instructs women to take half the dose for men. Dr. Melina Kibbe, professor of surgery at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, says it's the first time a drug has been labeled with different dosing for men and women. Now, if this happens for Ambien, you have to ask yourself how many other drugs out there should have different dosing based on sex. So I would say many And this is where the FDA really needs to get involved. I would recommend that the FDA have much stricter requirements requiring equal enrollment of males and females in human clinical research, reporting the data by sex, and analyzing the data by sex. We're not there yet. In fact, only about a third of clinical trial participants are women. Still, that's better than it used to be. But Kibbe says equal enrollment isn't enough. 
it makes no difference if the results are lumped together without an eye on differences in response. It's one thing to include men and women in a clinical trial, but then the problem is if you include both sexes but you report the data in aggregate, then you won't know if a drug had, say, a better effect in men versus women. So it's really important to report the data, yes, as aggregate, but also to do sex-based reporting of the data to show the effect in men versus women and to analyze the data statistically by sex. That's where we currently have a problem. But that's not the only one. If we're considering a lack of representation of females as research subjects, Woodruff says we have to go back a lot earlier in the process than clinical trials. There's been a lack of inclusion of females in basic science. So what that means is that the sex of animals in our basic science research, again, funded by the federal government through the National Institutes of Health, have not had that kind of attention. So even though clinical trials may include more females as study subjects, much of the work that goes on before that doesn't. Dr. Katherine Sandberg is professor, vice chair of research, and director of the Center for the Study of Sex Differences in Health, Aging, and Disease at Georgetown University. She's also chaired a panel advising the National Institutes of Health on the issue. If you're thinking about the pipeline for new therapeutics, new drugs, new treatment paradigms, if you're thinking about this pipeline, it all starts with preclinical research. So that's investigators like myself who work in a laboratory on animal models of disease or cellular models of disease. This is where we get our hints about what would be a good drug target. What most basic scientists have been doing in the past is using the male animal in models of disease, male animal models, or cells from these animals. And that has biased the whole pipeline for drug discovery toward what's optimal for the male. Up until recently, there's been absolutely no guidelines at all or requirements really requiring investigators to study novel therapies on male and female cells and male and female animals. So the majority of therapies that are developed from its infancy are pretty much tested on male cells or male animals. So by the time it makes it to the human studies, we know that it works very well in males, but we have no idea in female cells and female animals. So this represents a problem for clinical trials because at the most expensive end of the spectrum, human clinical trial is oftentimes the first time it's being evaluated in females. Now, you might expect that there would be differences in animals between males and females, but a lot of basic scientific research is done on cells, skin cells, heart muscle cells, kidney cells, and so on. You might not think there's much difference between the male and female versions of those, But Woodruff says, think again. What we're talking about fundamentally are the sex chromosomes, XX and XY. And that imprint of the chromosomal sex can have profound effects right at the cellular level. So we have hormonal effects, but we also have sex chromosome effects. And it's really important that as a biomedical community, we appreciate that that's strong biology. We're really talking about precision medicine or personalized medicine and the rise of genomic medicine. And the biggest difference between the genomes is the X and Y chromosome content. So this is something that I think once the biomedical community really understands, 
they're going to jump on this as a new opportunity for innovative new science, for paradigm shifting new mechanisms and concepts that then I believe is going to lead to a stronger, better pipeline of new research concepts that ultimately will become tomorrow's therapeutics or ways to counteract disease. However, Kibbe says researchers have a long way to go before they include female models in equal numbers or often even consider whether they do or not. Studies normally go to great lengths to describe the details of experiments, how long they took, the temperature that cells were maintained at, and so on. But Kibbe's review of animal and cell studies in five surgical journals shows that some information is routinely missing. The first thing that shocked me in analyzing all these manuscripts was that a third of the manuscripts didn't even state the sex studied. That surprised me. I didn't expect to find that going into this. And then when you actually look at the papers that reported the sex, when using animals, 80% study only males. And when looking at cells, same thing. It's about 70% study only males. So it's really a significant problem. And then I'll add the other thing we did is we asked the question of whether or not this practice of studying mostly males was getting better or worse over time. And again, an unexpected finding. We've actually gotten worse over time. Because in 1991, about 65% of the papers studied only males. 2001, 72%. In 2011, we're up to 85%. So it's consistently gotten worse every decade. But why? Why do researchers routinely ignore female animals in cells? Sandberg says researchers fall victim to myths just like the rest of us. They are making the assumption that there's no difference. That if we figure out the mechanism in the male, then we figure out a good drug target, that it will be also good for the woman. The second reason is that scientists had made this assumption, which is a myth, it's not true. And the assumption was that if you're going to study females, you are going to have a lot more variability in your studies because females have hormonal cycles. So this will mean that you will have to add a lot more animal groups if you want to study females. So scientists have made the decision, I don't want to have so many animal groups, it's going to be much more expensive and much more time consuming to study. So I'll just study males, I'll learn the important things and then apply it to females. Sandberg says many scientists accept that without question. But research has proven it's not true. If you're measuring that variability in the male and you compare it to the amount of variability in the female, you'll find that for most parameters, most of these parameters you're interested in, there's more variability in the male than the female. So this whole idea that you have to control for the hormonal cycle in your science is not true. But it's been a myth that scientists have believed for a long time. Over the last few years, scientists have begun to do something about the situation. Some major scientific journals now require that researchers spell out the sex of a study's subjects. And the National Institutes of Health now asks about the gender of animals and cells used in research that it pays for. You're going to have to, in your grant application, explain why you've chosen the sex of the animals or cells that you are going to study. And what's the reason behind it? And if you are only going to study males, you have to have a pretty good explanation. Otherwise, the peer review process will harm you and you will not be as competitive and so you will not get funded. However, those rules don't affect all research. 
privately funded studies, such as those done by drug makers, aren't covered. Pharmaceutical companies are not required to use females and males in equal numbers or to study the differences or to really assess sex as one of the variables. My hope is that with this attention on NIH federal funding, our pharma colleagues are also going to begin to look at sex as a real opportunity for, in their case, increasing their bottom line. If they have drugs that have failed because maybe it didn't work in half the population, if they now can tailor those drugs for males or females, that's in the end going to be good for their bottom line. So yes, while Woodruff certainly sees the current situation as a problem, it could end up being even more of an opportunity. We're really standing on the precipice of a revolution in biomedical science. Since there has been such a paucity, such an absence of females as test subjects or the sex chromosomes of cells being studied, once the doors are really open to this whole new area, really increasing the kind of science that can be learned, we're going to learn so much more. It's going to revolutionize, I believe, basic science. And in the end, that is going to move forward into better clinical trials because we're going to have better drugs that are going to be tailored to individuals. So I see in the next 10 years a real change in the way we are experiencing health because science is going to lead the way toward a better appreciation of our own biology. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net, where you can also find archives of our programs. You can also find them on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. Each year, thousands of adults in the United States get sick, are hospitalized, and some even die from diseases that could be prevented by vaccines. People with heart disease or those who've suffered strokes are at high risk for serious problems as a result of these illnesses, like the flu or pneumonia. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says if you have heart disease or had a stroke, it's especially important to talk with your doctor about getting your vaccinations up to date. Heart disease makes it harder for you to fight off certain diseases. In fact, some vaccine-preventable diseases, like the flu, can increase the risk of another heart attack. Vaccines are one of the safest and more effective ways to protect your health, and the influenza and pneumococcal vaccines are especially important to people with heart disease or stroke. So don't wait. Vaccinate. Talk to your doctor to get your vaccinations up to date. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash vaccines slash heart. That's cdc.gov slash vaccines slash heart. Medical Notes this week. Breast cancer death rates have plummeted over the last 25 years, with better treatment and early detection getting the credit. A report in the journal Breast Cancer Facts and Figures finds that between 1989 and 2015, the breast cancer mortality rate dropped by 39%, saving more than 320,000 lives that previously would have been lost. Despite that disparities exist, the breast cancer death rate among black women is still nearly 40% higher than for whites. Detecting concussions on the football or soccer field has always been difficult, but an experimental smartphone app could help. It's called Pupil Screen, and it uses a phone's video camera to detect changes in the eye's response to light. A report presented to UbaComp 2017 shows that Pupil Screen can quantify changes that are imperceptible to the human eye, enabling a correct concussion diagnosis with almost perfect accuracy. 
Scientists hope to create a commercial version of the app within two years. Automatic external defibrillators, or AEDs, are designed to be used by untrained members of the public to save the lives of people having a cardiac arrest. But a new study in the European Heart Journal shows that many people are reluctant to use an AED in public places because they fear they'd hurt the person rather than help them. Many members of the public also wouldn't know where to look for an AED if a person nearby suffered a cardiac arrest. Last month, we reported on the FDA's plan to make vaping more attractive than cigarettes to smokers. Now, a study in the journal Tobacco Control predicts that as many as 6.5 million smokers could make the switch to e-cigarettes over the next 10 years, giving those smokers an aggregate 86 million additional years of life. Researchers say even a pessimistic prediction finds that nearly 2 million smokers could make the switch to safer e-cigarettes, saving more than 20 million years of life. And finally, doctors often advise people to get a flu shot, but they should also probably tell you to try to be happy when you get it. A study in the journal Brain Behavior and Immunity finds that a positive mood when getting a flu shot improves blood levels of anti-flu antibodies better than any other factor measured, including stress, sleep, and diet. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.